Amen. Amen. If you believe that God is mighty to save, say amen. 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 Thank you, worship team. Thank you. Well, good afternoon, everyone. It's really great to uh, it's great to be back. My name is Red Seville. I'm the director of New Life CDC. We've been away for for three months on this three month sabbatical, and um, it's just really great seeing everybody again and being in this context and worshiping together and hearing the preaching of Rich and it's been wonderful. And thank you so much for all the hugs that we've received from you. Um, just after the service today, before you leave, just say hi if we haven't connected yet. And um, we, were, uh, we went to a bunch of places. We went to, um, I went to Boston, then the family went to Jersey, Pennsylvania, Maryland, Chicago, Denver, studying affordable housing and church planting. We feel so, we feel so full. And today the sermon is about the Great Commission, uh, God's plan to change the world in Matthew 28. Um, we'll do verses 16 to 20, Matthew 28, 16 to 20. Let's, um, let's pray together and invite the Holy Spirit to work amongst us. Father, thank you for our time together. Hello, Holy Spirit. So here we are. Continue to teach us and cause to bring alive the words of Jesus Christ. Give us the ears to hear what you're speaking to us through this passage, that we might have the grace to obey and follow and experience the joy of obedience. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. I like third service because these are the folks who got to sleep in a little bit. Really nice crowd. So if you need a Bible, raise your hand. One of the ushers will get you one. I was asked to share some of my sabbatical learnings, um, and it's actually just not my own, but uh, my wife's and my uh, learnings. Uh, But before we do that, I wanted to show you some um, cute pics here from uh, the crazy adventures. So hanging out with Bert and Ernie, some good family time. Um, Learn how to do that log rolling thing. That thing made a fool of me. You know, when people are standing on this log and you run around, like I got to experience that. That was wonderful. Doing some archery there, great activities. We went to a family retreat place in Maryland. And then this guy on the bottom, Christian celebrity kind of, you know, this guy Todd White is probably, this guy is probably the craziest evangelist in the nation. And um, so we were trying to just have some of his anointing rub off on us. And so thank you. Just thank you for sending us out in the end of May. So thankful for the culture that we have here at New Life. The five M's, um, especially just the monastic and slowing down to be with God, emotional health and the missional, which really forms our culture um, and which really informs our Sabbaths and also our sabbaticals. So after every, every seven years, uh, some, of, um, some of the staff have these sabbaticals as a way of of studying and learning more and hearing from Jesus. In fact, when we went, when we went to, to Chicago, um, Rich really likes this church there that has 24 locations uh, in the city of Chicago. And so I wanted to be study about, study about how, how they do church multiplication. And I, I uh, hung out with a lot of the pastors. And um, one of, some of these pastors were saying, you, you get a sabbatical after seven years? We don't get no sabbaticals. 
And then they go, well, I heard you're going to the staff meeting with all, when all of our pastors, all the 24 pastors are getting together. Can you just talk about this sabbatical? <laughs> so maybe our boss can hear about it, you know? So I went to the staff meeting, introduced myself, and then I said, every seven years, we at New Life, you know, some of the key staff get sabbaticals, like three months off, and there was like this riot that erupted. They were like, we want a sabbatical. We want to observe the Bible. This is from the Bible. How come we're not doing this? Hilarious. And so why am I bringing that up? It's like this is from Scripture, and yet so many churches don't observe this. You know, and so thank you for just being part of this culture that really sends us out. So thank you. And now, obviously, it's really impossible to be able to share all our learnings in, um, in just these 25 minutes. But this passage in Matthew 28 has been so rich for us. I mean, it has come to life with such force and such fire. We are, we are totally different. My wife and I are not just in a different level. Um, we feel like we're in a different stratosphere compared to where we were three, four years ago. And just before I jump into this, this passage, um, as, I, as I read this passage, one of the things that really strikes me about this passage, uh, besides the content, what Jesus is saying, is the fact that there are so many people missing in this passage. And so what's happening here is the resurrected Jesus is now, um, he's come alive and he comes out of the tomb and then he sends out this invitation to his followers. And only 11 people show up. I, I don't want to be uh, one of those people who have experienced the forgiveness and the goodness of God the love of Jesus Christ. And then when he sends out this invitation for us to go deeper with him, we fail to show up. I don't, I don't want to be that person. And the reality is Jesus Christ is still sending that invitation to us to go deeper with him, for us to join him in the renewal of the whole earth. I want to show up. Do you? And so may you hear the voice of the Spirit today as we jump into this. Because one thing that will happen when we begin to align ourselves with the content and the truth in this passage, our lives will look very, very different. You will enter into this faith adventure that you never dreamed of being able to live out. And we're experiencing this now. And so as a small community in Elmhurst and Corona. And so not only will your life look different, your family life will look very different. Your workplace can look very different. Places like Charlotte can look very different. The direction of our church can look very different if we align ourselves to the truth that's in this passage. And so let's jump in here, starting in verse 16. Then the 11 disciples uh, went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So this is called the Great, great Commission, or the Great Sending. 
And this right here is God's plan to change the world. It is God's plan to bring renewal through the whole earth. And we know that Jesus is in that business. Revelations 21, he says, I am making all things new. And that's what this is. And so what does he say? He simply says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. And then under that commission is to be able to baptize and then teach others to obey. Now, first of all, why does he give this commission? Well, if the goal is, if the goal is to change the world, I don't need to tell you that this world needs changing. All you need to do is be able to turn on the 10 o'clock evening news or CNN, the constantly negative news, and you'll see that this world needs changing. But he doesn't just send this because the world needs changing. The truth is that people need saving. I'm, I'm very aware of the spiritual condition of some of my friends and family. And some of you guys would agree. You know the spiritual condition of friends and family, your neighbors, your coworkers. Because the truth, the truth is, if a person does not choose to be a disciple and continues to reject Jesus, they will not be with Jesus. And the place without Jesus is a place called hell. I cringe even thinking and even, and even saying it. But if a, a person chooses not to follow Jesus, they will not be with Jesus. And the place without Jesus is a place called hell. But thank God there's good news. And so the good news is that God sent his son, Jesus, to die on a cross to be able to take the punishment of our sins upon himself as a sacrifice so that those who believe in him and those who turn from their sins can be forgiven of their sin and receive peace with God and experience not just a hope for the things to come in heaven, but to actually experience the kingdom of God here on earth. And that's why the disciples of Christ can experience meaning, fulfillment, and purpose. And that when you pass from this earth, you will be with Jesus forever. That's the good news that needs to go out. It is embedded in this great commission. And if you just think about it for a moment, do you realize that you are a follower of Christ today because somebody obeyed this commission? Do you realize that? It's because somebody chose to obey this great commission. They made disciples. They taught the commands of Jesus to somebody else, to somebody else, to somebody else who then reached you. And so the emotion that should erupt from that is gratitude that somebody chose to obey this great commission, and then now you are here as the beneficiary of that obedience. And so how will we not pay that forward? If I'm so grateful for the salvation I have in Jesus Christ, and I'm so thankful for the person who obeyed and told me about the gospel, how can I not pay that forward? And so let's look at these commands, starting in just verse 19. Jesus tells his followers to go and make disciples. 
the plan to change the earth and bring renewal to the globe. And so just given a, a simple definition of what it is to make disciples, simply means intentionally mentoring somebody to obey Jesus so that they could be like Jesus. Just a simple definition. Now, many of you guys are very familiar with mentoring. And notice what Jesus says here. He says, go and make disciples. Mentor somebody to obey me so that they could be like me. Notice he doesn't say, he doesn't first say, go and build great schools. He doesn't say, go and build great hospitals. Even though I love these things and these things are important in the renewal of the city. I'm the director of the, the, the Community Development Corporation. I'm on the board for a new school in the neighborhood. And we value these things. But Jesus Christ doesn't start there. You know where he starts? He starts in discipleship. He starts in the transformation of the human heart. And how do I know that brings change? All you really need to do is look through the book of Acts and read through the actions of the people who began to obey this great commission. And those that began to obey this great commission not only experienced change for themselves, but they began to change the world that they were in. And why is that important? It's because changed people change the world. A transformed people will transform the world. A renewed people will bring renewal. And then from that outflow comes the great schools, the programs, the fair and just laws. It's the going and making disciples. And so one of the things that have really um, come up just during the sabbatical um, about this commission is really about um, my evaluation of, of the way that I've made disciples or that I've mentored. Because I realize that the way that I've mentored others is not the way that Jesus mentored others. And so what do I mean? If I, if I want to obey Jesus, I make disciples. It's the addition of disciples. If I want to be like Jesus, I tell my disciples to make disciples. There's multiplication that takes place. You see, if I, if I simply obey Jesus, I can make disciples. I affect some. I realize if I wanted to be like Jesus, then I tell my disciples to make disciples. And then the world gets affected. You see, making disciples is good and it's critical. But when you make disciples who make disciples, it goes viral. And we all know this. If I want the whole world to learn how to play guitar, I don't just teach guitar. I teach someone who's learning guitar to teach guitar. That's the DNA that's embedded in this great commission. And I had to just evaluate how we were doing this. And it's so easy to miss. Even we as a staff miss this. So I'll give you, I'll give you an example. Last week was a really great sermon by Rich. If you haven't seen it, Absolutely, you need to see it. This is part of who we are. It was about a Christian response to racial hostility. He proceeds to give nine ways to be able to engage this. I've never taken so many notes uh, in a sermon. 
you know, um, listen deeply. Um, um, empath- empathy. Uh, empathize with somebody in the margins or somebody experiencing this kind of oppression or injustice. And then one of my favorite, build solidarity with those who are vulnerable. And so what Rich was doing was he was making disciples. But he can go further, and we don't need to stop there. And so I suggested a number 10. I would add number 10, and it would read, live it and then teach it. And so that means you begin to live at least some of these ways, and then you begin to teach it. Because the call of Jesus Christ is not just to make disciples, which is critical, but the call of Jesus Christ is to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. And then you know what happens? This reconciled community begins to multiply rather than just being here in these four walls. So easy to miss. And so for those of you who are already mentoring, don't just mentor your mentee. Teach your mentee to be able to mentor others. And it will switch your approach. Now, some of you guys um, are not in a mentoring relationship right now because you say, you know what, Ren, I got a job. This is your full-time job. You can do this. I got work. Make disciples at work. And I'm not talking about hanging out by the water cooler, thumping your Bible, and preaching hellfire and brimstone at the office. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about doing a Bible study when you're supposed to be working on spreadsheets. I'm not, I'm not talking about that. What I'm talking about is being such an awesome employee that it's as if you're working for Jesus Christ. And then you begin to mentor somebody else to do the same. Listen, that kind of work ethic in the corporate world will generate questions. Why do you do what you do? And watch Jesus come to the surface in terms of these conversations that you have. And then I know some of you are saying, Red, I'm just too busy. Well, if you're too busy, maybe you need discipleship. to be able to make room for the invitation and the commands of Jesus Christ. And so when I read through scripture, even Paul had a job and he was making disciples. Paul was a tent maker. Read through Acts 18. He was a tent maker because he didn't want to be a burden on the people that he was ministering to. And he made disciples of other tent makers, Priscilla and Aquila, for instance. And so even amidst his work, He was obeying the great commission of Jesus Christ. So let's move on. So that's the making of disciples. And then under making disciples, there are two two parts there. It's to baptize and then to teach toward obedience. Let's just look at baptism for a moment. First of all, I need to note that we, we don't, at New Life, we don't baptize babies. We dedicate them unto God. But the reason why we don't baptize babies is because we want the person who's receiving baptism to express the choice of receiving it. And so that's why we give a class, we give instruction for children, and obviously adults. Now, when it comes to baptism, 
Baptism is so significant because it's one of these visible signs of change in a person's life. It's one of these visible changes, signs of change that are the glimpses of that great commission, of the renewal of the whole earth, of the changing of the world. And who wouldn't want to be baptized if you're following Christ? What baptism, if you read through Romans 6, baptism is a unity with Jesus. It is a unity with his death. We believe in full immersion. When you go down into the waters, it's like the old red has gone. And then it's a unity with his resurrection, where the new red has come. And it's a beautiful sign of that transformation. And that's why many times here, when we do a baptism, we go nuts when the person comes up. It's a physical sign of that change that's taking place in their heart. And I really like this illustration of a wedding ring. It's just like the water's not magic. It doesn't save you. Just like a wedding ring is not magic, it doesn't really keep the marriage together. But the wedding ring, now don't ask me why I don't have my wedding ring. That's a different story. (laughs) The wedding ring is a visible sign of your commitment. It's a sign of your marriage. Even if you take that ring off, you're still married. And so the same with baptism. It's this beautiful sign of a unity, your marriage to Jesus Christ, our fourth M. Now, here are some of the things that God has been teaching me about, uh, teaching us about baptism. And it deals with three questions. The first is, when does a person get baptized? The second is, where? And then the third is, is who? Pretty um, funny stuff that we've been going through um, as as we've been exploring this. So first is when. When does a person get baptized? I, I used to believe that a person receives Christ and then um, it's recommended that you get baptized. But, you know, you choose whenever you want to do it. And I know that because it took me a while before I got baptized. And some of you guys here are believers and you haven't even gotten baptized yet. And so I used to think it was even optional. After all, the thief on the cross never get baptized, never got baptized, but then Jesus said, today you are with me in paradise, so that means it's optional. But that person was dead, and so he couldn't get baptized. And also, it's not what the scriptures show. Baptism is a sign of your obedience. And now what we did was, we looked, there are eight instances in the book of Acts the Acts of the Apostles were seeking to obey this Great Commission. And in each of these eight instances of baptism, you know, when they got baptized, they got baptized immediately. Immediately they got baptized. Why? Because it was part of their obedience to this Jesus Christ. If, if I told you that it's possible for you to be united with both his death and his resurrection, would you put that off? And so they immediately got baptized. And then I asked, I, I looked at this, and as we, as we, um, as we study this, then it, was, uh, then it was where? Where does a person get baptized? My default thinking was, and your default thinking probably is, if somebody wants to get baptized, they go to a church. They didn't have church buildings back then. They really got baptized wherever, in a river, the sea on the side of the road, they got baptized wherever, and they did it immediately because it was a sign of their obedience to this person of Jesus. 
so that's when that's that's where and then and then who who does it? My default thinking again was that, well, the pastor should do it, just like what we do. And again, what we do here is beautiful and good, and it's not wrong. We're going to continue doing it because it's glorious and awesome. But the default is not uh, the pastor does it. If you look at John 4, chapter 2, it says when Jesus was gaining his disciples, he was not baptizing them. It was disciples who were baptizing other disciples. If it's really the leader that's supposed to be doing baptism, then Jesus was supposed to be doing it. And then Paul, Paul again says in the book of Corinthians, Paul said, writing to the whole Corinthian church, he goes, I didn't baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius and this one other household. Well, then who did the, 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 the baptizing? These regular nameless disciples just baptized other disciples. And I'll tell you one of the reasons why that's really important. It empowers you to be able to follow Jesus Christ and experience Jesus in your midst when you're doing it. And I know this for a fact because um, we would read this and we actually started, we started doing it. Uh, we... I mean, where do I even start? So we would come across, we would read scripture, and um, we would hear about these things, and um, we came across this, first this one person, uh, he goes to New Life, and he wanted to get baptized, and I said, well, why don't you get baptized? You know, there's a, there's a class, and the baptism is coming two months from now, and he said, I don't want to wait two months. And then so this scripture is now rolling in my head where they got baptized immediately, and so I said, well, we can baptize you, but then we won't be able to do it at a church. Is that okay? Because now I know that you can get baptized anywhere. So then what about in our bathtub? And then he goes, okay. He didn't even, he didn't even uh, hesitate. So that, that's me baptizing him at the top left. Um, and then it just started, started to roll. Um, not the same night, but a few weeks afterwards, that's my wife baptizing somebody. And then we were training somebody on the bottom right to do a baptism her, herself. And that first time we did it, it was like, is this even legal what we're doing? <laughs> like I had to talk to Rich. I said, Rich, I know it's scriptural, but you know, you got the degree. I don't like, is this legit? Like, is this? And he said, hey, man. That's probably closer to the scripture than what we're actually doing. <laughs> and could I tell you that when we baptized that first person, there was so much joy in that room. We felt like kids in a playground. We felt the joy of the Holy Spirit of God. And simply because we were obeying. Let's, let's, let's do something fun here. Um... You don't have to raise your hand if you don't want to. Okay. It's invitation, not imposition. Raise your hand if you're a follower of Jesus. Right? Just keep it up. Okay. Look, that's like 95% of us. Right? Now keep your hands up. Now keep your hands up if you've ever baptized someone. Look, look at that. It's like 95% of the hands went down. You can put them down. For me now, there's something a little off with that. 
Because if we're called to be obedient and to go and make disciples and baptize and teach, then more of us need to have that opportunity. And so here's my hunch. My hunch is that the Holy Spirit will begin to speak to you, speak to your small group. You're going to discover people who want to follow Jesus Christ and they're not baptized. And then you're going to hear the Holy Spirit say, you baptize them. You're going to feel nervous. You're going to feel inadequate. You're going to receive some instruction from us as a staff just because we don't want to be, have renegade Lone Ranger baptizers out there. <laughs> and then you're going to baptize someone following Jesus. Could I tell you the joy of having somebody that you've mentored in your arms somebody that you've walked with, you bring them down into the baptismal waters and you see the waters fold over their face and they come up knowing that they are now united with both his death and resurrection of Jesus. You're in for a treat. You will experience the joy of obedience. And now... The second part, so go and make disciples, baptize, and then he says, teach, um, teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. Notice Jesus doesn't say, teach them everything that I have commanded you. He says, teach them to obey everything that I have commanded you. I needed to recognize that difference because sometimes when I hold a class, it's so easy for me to teach people what Jesus commanded. And think of the classes that you've been to in your spiritual walks. People were teaching you the commands of Jesus Christ. But I had to think back and evaluate, am I simply teaching them the commands of Jesus Christ? Or am I teaching them to obey the commands of Jesus Christ? There's a significant difference in how you approach it. Because... I'll tell you why obedience is really significant and important. If you simply know the commands of Jesus Christ, you're no better than the devil. I know that sounds a little harsh, and I'm making it a little dramatic just to prove a point, but there's truth in this. Even the devil knows that Jesus exists. Even the enemy attends church. All you need to do is read about the Lord's Supper and you see that Satan was present right in front of Jesus. And even the enemy knows the word of God and the commands of God. But the enemy doesn't obey. And so it's obedience that defines the disciple. This is obedience. And for me, I recognize that um, the best way to be able to learn obedience or Rather, the best way to teach somebody to obey is to first to learn to obey. And so, Holy Spirit quickly identified an area in my life where I was being disobedient. And it was in the area of evangelism. And I knew, I, I, I know and I knew that Jesus Christ was telling me to approach people in the street. But I was afraid. And so I disobeyed. Can you identify? And so is there, is there an area in your life that you know that you're in, you're in disobedience even right now? Maybe the Holy Spirit is telling you start to do something or stop doing something and yet you disobey. 
The best way to teach somebody how to obey is to first learn obedience. And so I sought mentoring. I sought mentoring in the area of, of, of evangelism. And I appreciate some folks at New Life. You know, um, Peggy, uh, uh, Irene, Shelly, Jeanez, Vashti. I mean, these people are just going out onto the streets. Sebastian, organizing a few folks. And I knew I was being disobedient. And so I sought mentoring. And this guy would get on a phone call with me on a weekly basis. And at the beginning of the phone call, he would say, um, so Red, how did you obey Jesus this week? It's like, oh, stop asking me that question. How did you obey Jesus this week? You know, I could start getting irritated. Why can't you just ask me how I'm doing? Or why can't you just ask how I'm doing spiritually so I could tell you I'm doing good? But no, he was like, Red, how, how do you feel like you're obeying Jesus this week? You know what he was doing? He was teaching me obedience. And I caught on. And so just asking the Holy Spirit to give me boldness. God, you know, the people in Elmhurst look really scary. I really have fear going up to these folks. Lord, they don't speak English. They look strange. I don't know if they want to talk to me. But the Lord in his grace just gives you what you ask for. And so, God, I want to obey. And so my wife and I started obeying. And these are the people that we've met on the street. And you guys are probably wondering, like, why are you taking selfies with these folks? First of all, if you met me on the street and I was a stranger and I asked you if we could take a selfie together, what would you say? You would probably say no. Unless you had this encounter with God with this person. And then at the end of it, if somebody that you're speaking with, you have an encounter. If somebody asks you, can we take a selfie together? They're like, absolutely. And that's what these, that's what these pictures are. For each one of these, there are beautiful stories. I'll tell you the story about this person on the bottom right. Um, his, name, his name is Aaron. I, um, I, get, I get on the train uh, on Grand Avenue, and um, um, I was sitting down. I see him, um, really tall guy, really intimidating, looks very mean. Um, and then Jesus says, go talk to that guy. I'm like, what? Can I talk to this person in front of me? He looks really nice. <laughs> this guy's tall, uh, just really serious. And then, um, and then I heard my mentor's question, you know, how did you obey Jesus this week? So I knew I wanted to be able to do this. And so I was like, okay, God, if you want me to speak to this person, at least give me a verse, you know. And then a verse pops in like that. And I'm like, darn. A verse comes in, and I'm like, really, Lord, is that even the right reference? Um, I look at it, and it's in the book of Acts, and it says that God is near. Um, I'm paraphrasing. He is not far away. I'm like, Whew. So I said, God, if this is really you, then he needs to get off on the stop that I get off at. <laughs> and I was like six stops away, you know. One stop, he stays on. Second stop, he stays on. Third stop, I'm like, look at He stays on. Fourth stop. The sixth stop, my stop, he gets out. I'm like, oh. And this guy's tall, so he's walking fast. So I'm like walking toward this guy, and he's like now half a block in front of me. I said, God, if this is really you, he needs to make a turn where I need to make a turn. 
He makes a turn where I need to make a turn. So now I run. Now I'm feeling conviction. Now I, now I know. I said, hey. I go, up to this, I go up to this guy. And then I said, hey. I, I'm like panting, you know. <sighs> hey. <laughs> and he's like looking at me. Um, I, I think like I have something to tell. I chased you down from the train. We were in the same cab in the same train car. I think I have something for you. He pulls out his, his headphones and then he goes, what is it? He stands in. I'm like, oh, wow. And then I tell him, I show him this verse. I like pull up my phone and I'm reaching up. This. <laughs> I said, this is, God is not far away. And I talk about the context of the verse. He starts to weep. Now my faith rises up. Now I'm in for the kill. <laughs> oh, it's so funny, man. It's like God is so gracious. So I begin to explain to him. We go off to the corner. Now I'm feeling like ready to roll. You know, he goes to me. He says, I used to read the Bible every day. But I feel so far away. And for you to come out of the train, chase me down, chase me down, and tell me that God is not far away. That's just, that's just one story out of, I am telling you, it may not be in evangelism, but you begin to obey the voice of the Holy Spirit. You watch what he does in your life. And so, and, so, and so now I ask, you know, the people that I'm mentoring, I ask them, like, how, how are you obeying Jesus after I ask them how they're doing? And let me tell you what first comes out is fear. Oh, I don't know if I could do this. Uh, and despite the, the roadblocks and the suffering that they go through, these people that we're mentoring are obeying Jesus. And let me tell you that one of the common um, just pieces of feedback that we get a lot. I could, they tell me, they tell us, I could not believe that I'm doing what I'm doing right now. I cannot believe that I'm obeying the Great Commission just like I am now. They're baptizing people. They're serving the poor. They're making disciples who make disciples. Do you know what's happening? They're being changed. This is the, this was the goal of Jesus Christ. The renewal of the whole earth, the changing of the world, and I'm seeing it before me because we're teaching people not just the commands, but we're teaching people to obey the commands of Jesus Christ. And when, when, I'm, on these, when I'm on these phone calls um, just to see how people are doing, we are experiencing, we're experiencing this in verse 20 where it says, Surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. We, we chuckle because we feel Jesus. We, we feel him. We feel the effects of the Great Commission. We experience the joy of obedience to the words of the Holy Spirit of God. And so just some, just some, just some next, uh, really some practical steps here. Um, receive mentoring. Or so many of you have so much to give, mentor somebody else. 
and receive some coaching from the New Life staff, but it's time. And watch that multiplication take place. And when you're mentoring somebody, don't just teach the commands of Jesus or the word of Jesus Christ. Teach toward obedience. And feel free to use that question. How have you, so how have you obeyed Jesus Christ this week? And then when it comes to making disciples, don't, I've been guilty of this. There was a time where I evaluate how I discipled my kids, and it was like, I, I couldn't remember even a time where I intentionally had a Bible study with my kids. Why do I need to have a Bible study with my kids when I can bring them here on a Sunday and somebody more qualified could do it? Don't outsource the discipleship of your children. And New Life Kids gives really great resources on how to come alongside parents so you can intentionally make disciples of your children. And then just talking to my fellow parents, baptize your kids. There was so much joy when I asked permission from the New Life staff and said, "Could could I baptize Amber? And to feel that joy of just regular people, just disciples, baptizing disciples, is such a beautiful experience. So, so that's just the last thing there. Baptize the next person you see on the street. <laughs> I'm just joking. But again, my hunch is that you will receive discipleship, um, and maybe in the context of your small group, you even talk about this, and you will ex- meet somebody that you're mentoring, that you're, that you're discipling who has not gotten baptized yet, and you will hear the Holy Spirit say, you baptize, you obey the words of Jesus Christ. And then you're going to feel inadequate, inferior. Oh, Joe Terry does such a great job. Can't he just do it? But you go ahead, receive instruction, and obey the words of Jesus Christ, and go baptize. Let's have the worship team come up. I just want to share one quick thing um, This is a map of of Elmhurst Corona. And more and more, um, I'm understanding why the Great Commission is coming alive. And more and more, I'm understanding and seeing glimpses of what Jesus Jesus Christ is doing in our church. And it's no coincidence that even Rich is going to be doing a series on evangelism. And so in 2015, um, my wife and I were at this conference. And toward the end of the conference, there was a beautiful time of worship And um, so many people were just feeling the presence of God in this place. A lot of people just went down on the ground. Like we were just um, just kind of out, just receiving, um, just enjoying the presence of the Holy Spirit of God while we were on the carpet. And um, I felt like Jesus, I felt like Jesus whispered. And I felt like he whispered to me, felt like he whispered, ask me what you want. And even now, like I, I, still, I, I know that it's that I know that it was him, and I still feel him every time. I just kind of meditate on what happened. He said, "Ask me what you want," and I felt like, "OMG, that sounds like a blank check." <laughs> Jesus Christ, the King of Kings, Lord of Lords, asking you what you want. Ask me what you want. And so I said, "God." Would you give me, meaning give new life, 
give me all of Elmhurst and Corona. And then I felt like Jesus said, oh, Elmhurst and Corona? It's yours. And then now, only now do I recognize, like, that is such peanuts to him. His goal was to bring renewal to the whole earth. And I'm asking for Elmer's Corona. Jesus was like, oh, go ahead. And I started to weep. I was like, God, what does that even mean? Give me, I ha- I, it's your, what does that even mean? And there's just a series of confirmations that has taken place. And then there was this vision of this map. And then there was this sheet. There was this black sheet over it. And then a split second after that, there were these sources. It's like these different size flashlights underneath that sheet. And then I asked Jesus, Jesus, what is that? And then he said, those are the different parts of the body of Christ piercing the darkness. Those sources of light are you. That's us. And all I know is that whatever God is doing, it's related to the Great Commission, and it's happening already, and it's going beyond Elmhurst and Corona. You just stand up with me, just as I pray a blessing over you. I don't know all that, that's going to unfold, but I could tell you this. It's exciting to be a follower of Jesus right now. I could tell you that. And so let me just pronounce a blessing over you as you bow our heads and then we'll pray, we'll sing, and then Rich will come up. And so, Father, by your Holy Spirit, Lord God, give us the ears to hear your voice. And so the words, hear the words of Jesus Christ. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And so now, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you, and surely I will be with you always to the very end of the age. Amen. Let's sing together. Amen. Put your hands together for Red, who blessed us, and blessed us. Got me all fired up today, man. What Red was communicating very simply is this, that Jesus Christ has a greater vision for your life than you typically have for yourself. And we think about our vision for our lives is typically uh, get a job, save some money, Maybe buy a house, have some kids maybe, retire comfortably, die, and then see Jesus. And, 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 and that's like, that's our vision for our lives. And it's nice. It's a nice vision. It's a nice vision. But Jesus has such an amazing vision for your life. One that you don't even have for yourself often. He says, the kingdom of God has come, and I'm inviting you to participate in the life of this kingdom, to bring renewal to the lives of people we encounter. And those people will begin to bring renewal to the lives that they encounter, and so on and so forth, until the kingdom of God begins to permeate the entire creation. 
And that's what God invites us into. And so here's the reality. The reality is our spiritualities are often oriented around a service. This is American Christianity. American Christianity is about a spirituality that's oriented around a Sunday worship gathering. And that's all we, church, to, to follow Jesus and to be part of a church is to come to a church service. And our spirituality, our spiritual formation, our discipleship is oriented around the 90 minutes that we're together. We sing, we hear the Bible, teaching, and all that stuff there. And yet, that's, that's such a small vision of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. To be a follower of Jesus is to permeate and penetrate every aspect of our lives, every relationship that we touch, every act of service that we do. It's much larger than just coming to a service. And so what Red has presented to us is a larger vision for your life. And as we think about evangelism next couple of weeks or so, we begin to explore what does it mean for us to be joyful and urgent sharers of good news. This really serves as the foundation for that. Jesus Christ has a large vision for you. God has called you to make an impact in this world that's beyond what you could ever dream or imagine because the Holy Spirit has been deposited in you. And so what we need is a baptism of boldness. We need the the love of God. We need the grace of God. We need God to so permeate our lives. And God wants to use you in ways beyond your wildest dreams. And so uh, thank you, Red, for uh, inspiring us and uh, turning us back to this commission. You know, Jesus, it's called the Great Commission. It's not called the Great Recommendation. Okay, it's not like the great suggestion. Hey, if you get around to it, you know, maybe you can do some of these things if you get around to it. It's a, this is what we've been commissioned for. And this is what we're going to focus on. And so let's have the prayer team come forward. Um, Jesus Christ um, is the one who is pursuing us over and over and over again. I like how Pastor Peter said it. That Christianity is not about our relentless pursuit of God. Christianity is about God's relentless pursuit of us. God consistently is coming after you with grace and mercy. And he invites us, after tasting that, to begin to offer that to others. And some of you have never tasted the grace and mercy of God because you've never said yes to Jesus. Maybe you've enjoyed some of God's creation. Maybe you've enjoyed some of the blessings of God. But you've never tasted and seen that the Lord is good. And we have our prayer team here. If you, if you see, if you sense Jesus is calling you by name, that he's saying, no, come to me. I want to forgive you of your sin. I want to fill you with the Holy Spirit. I want to, I want you to have new life. Our prayer team is here. And to my right, we have the Lord's table where we come and we take bread. We dip it in the cup. We are reminded that the broken and poured out one is not just, uh, uh, something we participate in is something that's to permeate our being so that we might be broken and poured out as well. And so whether you need a prayer for whatever situation in your life or you want to come to Christ or whether you want to take the bread and the cup, uh, feel free to come forward. As we close, let me invite you to open your hands towards heaven to receive a blessing. And the reason we end in this posture is because we cannot give what we have not received. And so with this posture, we're saying, Lord, fill me with grace and love and joy and peace. And may I in turn take my hands which are receiving and offer them to the world to bless. That's ultimately uh, the life of Christianity. And so with your hands and your hearts in a posture of receiving, brothers and sisters and sons and daughters of the living God, may the Lord bless you and may he keep you. May he shine his face upon you and fill you with peace. And may you walk out of this building in the power of the Holy Spirit.
bearing witness to the good news of Jesus, to the kingdom of God that has come. And may you in turn begin to live out this great commission. May you experience the love of God and may you begin to teach others who teach others who teach others who teach others about this love of God about the transformation that's available in the name of Jesus. And so may you experience the fullness of God in his love. And may you offer that to those you encounter this week. I bless you all today. In the strong, in the beautiful, in the resurrected name of Jesus. And everyone shout it. Amen.